Welcome to Jim Galliano's Building a Better Web Presence podcast. Build something better with less moving parts, less overhead, and less headaches. Hey everyone, this is Jim Galliano. Thanks for joining me for today's podcast episode. Today is December the 20th. Christmas is almost here, and I just want to take a moment to wish everyone a peaceful, happy Christmas holiday this upcoming weekend. I'm looking forward to it, and I hope you are too. And I know that this can be a lonely time of the year for some people, sometimes elderly people, people without children, or people who are living remotely. They're single, maybe spending the day alone. I think if I were in that situation, I would try to do something that I enjoyed, something maybe a little bit different instead of focusing on what I wasn't able to do because I didn't have you know, certain people around or I wasn't in the right atmosphere. You know, Sometimes when you're by yourself, you can get lost in your own thoughts. But I've recognized this over time that you really do have to make the best using what you have at any particular moment in your life. And you really have to make the effort to not focus on what's missing. Because it seems like sometimes you can be working towards certain things and wanting to achieve certain things. And you're working and you're working and you're working. And you're focusing on what's missing in your life. Of course, that's understandable. I know we all do it. But then when you get something that you've wanted and something that was there with you maybe a long time is no longer there, then there's something else that's missing. In other words, there always seems to be missing pieces, whether it's you know, whether you're younger, whether you're married or single, whether you're older and someone, you know, family members pass away. So I really believe that you have to make the most of the moments. And again, try not to figure or try not to focus on whatever it is that's missing. And just be thankful for whatever you have, knowing that there's other people out there that are making do with a lot less maybe than you are. So just wanted to throw that out there. Today's episode is brought to you by the Digital Strategist Newsletter, which is available right now for free at jimsnewsletter.com. This is my free monthly newsletter. I think you'll really enjoy it, so be sure to sign up for it if you haven't already. All the back issues are available there as well if you want to check them out. And also, today, I'd like to announce the launching of my brand new coaching program, based on the one-to-many system. You can find out all of the details about this program at one-to-many-system.com. Just uploaded a brand new webinar there, which will give you all the details about this program. Unlike many programs that you see out there, we're actually going to build out your complete system together. And that includes your website landing page. So if you're still looking for that elusive combination of business plan and marketing strategy where the pieces fit together and it allows you to scale your business without needing a team of people or full-time employees to manage all the moving parts, let me help you get there. This program can transform the way you see your business and your future. So go ahead, check that out at one-to-many-system.com and let's start building a better future in 2023. Today, I want to talk about should you be niching down or going wide in the new year? And this is something that I thought a lot about before sitting down here today and recording this episode. I began thinking about my own past, things that I understood, things I didn't understand at the time, comparing where I was in the late 1990s to where I am today. 
and the process and the steps that I went through getting from one place to another. So let me just share with you a little bit about my own backstory just to set the scene for this topic of should we be niching down or should we be going wide? What really works in the real world? Well, back in the late 1990s, when I was just getting started building a serious online business, do you know what I mean by that? There's online businesses, but they're not always serious online businesses. A serious business is a business you need to be able to pay the bills. In other words, you don't have a whole lot of room for error. Now, sometimes you start a side business, and not to say that you're not serious about it, but the consequences of that business failing are not the same as the consequences of the business that literally keeps the lights on failing. So that's the situation that I was in. I was in a place where I couldn't fail. And I had some decisions to make because I got to a point in my growth where it really didn't seem like I was adding on new clients or new prospects as quickly as I thought I should be. So I looked at my existing client base and I asked myself the question finally, should I target a niche or niche and really build out my business in that? Or should I expand my horizons by focusing on the problem that I was solving and then go from there to see who would or who wouldn't be open to my product. Now for, I would say, 24 months, I basically, to be perfectly honest about it, because it was more or less the early days, so anyone whose check wouldn't bounce was considered to be a prospect. Anyone who could fog a mirror, in fact, was a potential client, if they were willing to pay me for what I did, for the services that I would provide, then I just absolutely, I'll take you on as a client. I'll take you on as a customer. Now, back then, it was the early days of website development and internet marketing. Now, a lot of times when you're in the early days of anything, very rarely do you think, oh, here I am in the early days. Now, you just think of, oh, what do I need to do today? Because there's all of the other things in life that intertwine with managing and growing a business. But I did realize that the world had changed. And it was pretty obvious at the time, going from a world in which everything was analog and offline into an online world where everything was becoming increasingly digital with the passing months and the passing years. And so if somebody asked me back then, what does your ideal client look like? You know, I couldn't tell you. Even if I took the profile of some of my favorite clients, I wasn't experienced enough at the time to look at these different personalities and draw uh, conclusions that there were certain similarities that they all shared. And that's why they decided to be my clients. And that's what I would have to do going forward to be able to replicate that business growth. So I had technical ideas. And, and let me just point something out. A lot of you who enjoy listening to this podcast or who get something out of the information that I share with you, there is a reason why that's so. There is something within our personalities that make us a good fit for one another. What I mean by that is you get something from the information that I share and I get something back from you, you sharing with me the fact that, hey, what you're doing is worthwhile. Go ahead and keep on doing it. So, But we don't get that from everyone. So you and I get that together. You get it with some of your clients. Some of your clients contact you and 
You know that what you're putting into their lives is benefiting them. They're sharing that back with you. And it's a nice combination. Friendships are built that way. Alliances are built that way. Partnerships are built that way. So, but, you know, we're not a good fit for everyone. Okay, that's another thing that you have to realize. But, you know, if somebody asked me back then, what does my ideal client look like? I realize now, looking back, hindsight being 2020, they say hindsight is 2020, not all the time, unfortunately. Sometimes we do not learn from our past and we have to repeat the past several times before the lesson sinks in. So, yeah, in this case, hindsight is 2020. And I realized that asking me that question back then would be like asking a 15-year-old teenager today what they want to do for a living when they're 25 years old or other questions like that that are more detailed. And most of them, not all of them, but most of them can't give you a detailed answer because they're drawing from a limited life experience and nothing is really standing out to them yet because they just haven't been out there long enough. They just don't have enough life under their belt. Now, most of us learn what we want and what we don't want over time as we make our way through what I guess you might call the school of life. Formal education is fine. I don't have anything against it. I don't have anything against teachers, the education system in general. I'm just speaking generalities. But I'll also be quick to say that formal education does not fill in all of the blanks. It really doesn't. It takes time for that to happen. How many people even graduate from college, start a career, and then realize that it wasn't what they thought it would be? It's not for them. I can't tell you how many attorneys or lawyers that I've bumped into in the online world who went through that exact experience. They went to college, they got the grades, they put in the time, they passed the test, they eventually passed the bar exam, they started practicing law in a firm, putting in long hours, making sacrifices, and then suddenly one day they looked around them and thought, is this what I want the next 20 or 25 years of my life to be? Fighting to become partner in some big firm? And you know, don't get me wrong, I mean, some people are really cut out for that. One of my friends, not the big firm, but one of my friends was an attorney who made it in the big time with his own firm. And it wasn't a big firm, but what he did, he did really well. And he was one of those people. It just turned out he knew what he wanted to be as long back as he can remember. That's what he wanted to be. I have another friend that way uh, who felt the same way about the world of accounting. He wanted to be an accountant for as long as he could remember, or at least for as long as I can remember him saying. Uh, and that's exactly what he became. And eventually he became a partner. And so some people can find the balance. A lot of people can't. I'm just bringing up attorneys as an example. But, you know, some people, again, they go and they get all the education and everything. They start a career and then they realize that it's not for them. I was one of those people. And I went into the digital, well, it wasn't digital back then, but I went into the agency world and I discovered that how it was, at least in that format, wasn't the type of atmosphere that I was going to thrive in. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. So going back to my own situation, here's what happened. I identified a few potential niche choices based on my existing client base. 
And so maybe add like two or three clients in this niche, two or three clients in another niche, and so on and so forth that made up 100% of the whole. So I, I picked one that I thought had the lowest barriers, the least number of challenges, the ones that the one that I already had some connection to. I don't want to go into the details about it here because this is I really want to keep this about you. The focus is on what you're doing right now and what your options are going to be going forward. I'm talking about hindsight being 2020 and what I learned. So I don't want to bog you down in too many useless details. But this is what I did. I chose the path of least resistance, the one that seemed at least obvious because I already knew people there. I already had connections in that niche. I already had happy clients in that niche. And so that's where I decided to target. So this whole concept of niching down, of course, is not new. It's been around forever. And I thought that if I would practice that instead of just going wide and taking whatever clients I could get, I would grow faster and I would be more profitable. All makes sense on paper, just like a lot of different things do. And then when you get out there, what happens? Boom, the whole thing just crumbles around you. It didn't work for me. Now, somebody would say, well, you probably just did it wrong. Of course, my story is not really an odd story or something that nobody's ever heard before. Plenty of people have tried niching down and it didn't work. So in my case, not only did the window of opportunity remain closed, it seemed to be bolted shut. And the, I even asked for help for the people I was connected to. I asked them to actively go out there and help me get more people like them on board with me. The people that were already happy with me, and guess what? They couldn't do it either. And I didn't really understand some of the reasons why until later down the road. And that's, I'm going to share those with you also today. But meanwhile, as I was focusing on those other areas, I started slowly attracting clients still from various other niches like I had before. So it was very frustrating. It's very frustrating when you're focusing on one thing. You're trying to build it. You're trying to get off the ground. And meanwhile, I mean, it's one thing if nothing is happening and you're just focusing on that. But what was happening, I was getting busy with different types of other clients over here while I was trying to fig figure out how to get this specific type of client over in this other area. And so, yeah, my, my business grew and it continued to grow. But if you asked me at the time, I would have to say, I don't understand how this business is growing. Obviously, I'm doing something right, but I can't point to any specific marketing campaign. I can't point to any specific ad campaign. I can't point to any specific networking group. It's just happening how it's happening. It's happening organically. Now, you would think I would be happy, but if you're the type of person that likes more or less to have control over what happens next, I think all of us are there at one point or another. We want to know that, hey, you know what? I can duplicate this outcome because isn't that what science is about? You have a theory and you want to be able to duplicate something over and over and it becomes a fact then. The fact is that this system works because it's duplicatable. That's what I was looking for at the time when I was looking for a niche and providing people with a solution in that niche or niche. Let's just call it niche. Niche sounds kind of, how would you say, has more of an international flavor to it. But really, I'm from New Jersey, resettled in Florida, so I don't need to sound, <laughs> I don't need to sound international. Okay, let's, I'm going to call it niche for the rest of this episode. 
fast forwarding to today, and I've said this before in past podcasts, let me just say it again in case you're a new listener or maybe you're an old listener who's forgotten. You may choose a niche, but the people in that niche have to choose you back. It's just like whether you're a girl or a guy, you, you choose somebody and you think, wow, I would love to get to know them better. Or you're just totally enamored by someone. Oh, I would love to marry that person. You know, that person has something to say about it. Isn't that true? Well, in any human interaction, it's going to be the same. It doesn't matter whether we're talking about business or social or personal. So you may say, I want to work with a certain group of people or businesses that are in this niche, but they don't respond. Now, I I can create an entire episode just based on that topic alone. But let me give you the quick notes, my quick notes version of this at least. No matter what marketplace you're doing business in, I can see this clearly now, but I couldn't see it back then. There's going to be a decision maker or plural decision makers that you're going to interact with. Some of these people want to work with a company or larger entity. And others of these individuals would rather do business with an individual or a smaller company. So we have those two sides And they represent decision makers in every marketplace that you can think of. Some feel safer working with these big companies. Others feel safer working with smaller companies or individuals. And trying to move people from one camp to another is usually an exercise in futility. Let's just use a contemporary example, social media for a good example of this. Let's say you have a large company. Some decision makers in that large company only want to do business with or work with what you might call a social media firm. We're talking about a company that has a lot of employees that are managed. They have a manager over them, project managers, and that's what they want to do. And some decision makers in mom and pop businesses, they're business owners, they have small companies. Likewise, they too would rather do business with a large social media management company. Now, they may not be able to articulate to you why they feel that way. And you may be able to put up a decent argument about why that way of thinking isn't accurate or isn't necessarily true 100% of the time. And they'll agree with maybe how you're presenting your information, but that won't change the fact that they're still going to go with the bigger firm. They're still going to go with a bigger company when they make their choice. They're a decision maker, and that's the way they're going to do it. Now, you know people that go through life being in one camp and eventually go to the other. Usually people go from preference and always going with the big, more established, deeper pockets, all of that, and then eventually through negative experiences go ahead and say, you know, I'd rather have an individual. I'd rather hire a freelancer to do this for me because we're just not getting the return on our investment that we're hoping for investing all of this money with this larger company. So social media is a great example. We can apply this to a lot of things. Why would some people rather eat, go out for the evening and go to a larger restaurant chain as opposed to maybe a local single owner type of business? And why are there's people in the opposite camp that would say, oh, I would definitely rather go with this quaint little single owner restaurant. Their food is much better than the, the big restaurant chain. And sometimes the answers to these questions are, you know, which is better? Which would you rather do? How would this apply in this situation is it depends. 
So my personal origin story, if you want to call it that, dates back to the old design and marketing agencies. Big companies, generally speaking, prefer doing business with larger companies. And that's why when I started my business, I focused on getting big. And it was tough. It's tough getting big unless you have already a group of people and you're all on the same page and you all want the same thing. Even then, it's difficult because personalities, even though you may start out as friends, it becomes difficult because ultimately after a while, especially with friendships, if with a friendship or with a family member, when somebody does something nice for you, I mean, we're not supposed to keep score. And some things, in some situations, in some relationships, it's easier not to keep score than it is others. So, for example, if you have children and you buy things for them and they're getting older, you buy things for them. When they get to become adults, you're not going to turn around and say, well, you know what? They really I've I've invested a whole lot more in our relationship, a whole lot more money, time, energy than they're investing back in me. Most parents don't feel that way. Most parents are just happy that that person is doing well. They have that kind of unconditional love, right, that's there. I say kind of because no one's perfect. However, on the other side of the scale, when it comes to our friendships, is it really that unconditional love there? I'm going to say probably not most of the time. There should be, and I know that sometimes friendships go through some hard times, and especially here, let's not forget we're talking about the business element now. You take three guys or three women and they're starting a business together and these three grew up together. They went to school together. They went to college or whatever, the university together. Their parents knew one another, all of this, all this connection. With relationships like that, it's not really as unconditional as you think it should be because if one person keeps giving, giving, and giving and they're not getting back from the other two – or the two give more and the one doesn't, then sooner or later people, it's not that they keep score, but they start noticing. They start noticing that they're giving more than they're getting. And when you put this in a business context, sometimes people feel that I deserve more money than that person does because I put more effort in. Or I'm spending longer hours and I'm not being rewarded for the amount of hours I'm putting in. I'm getting the same amount that my good friend over here is getting, except they're putting in half the time and effort. And some resentment builds but you don't always let that resentment out. You don't always really, when I say let it out, you don't really talk about it. You don't discuss it because as a friend, there's part of you that thinks I shouldn't be feeling this way about my friend. I should be wishing them the best. I shouldn't be thinking these thoughts that they're lazy or they're taking advantage of me. Or, But if you're human, it's hard not to in most relationships. And so what happens is all of these little things begin to build up and then what you have is division. And people who were once the best of friends now are at each other's throats. And so that was one of the things that the, the benefit of going into this business arrangement with friends, with people you already get along with, with people that know and understand you is that on one side, you've got a type of harmony in place that is difficult for people maybe that don't know one another as well or haven't known each other as long. But in other cases, it can be a liability. But either way, if you're going to build a large company, you need to have certain people on board and maybe you're not always going to see eye to eye on things. In other words, there's going to be some disagreements and how you handle those disagreements is going to make your experience better or worse. And so as you get into those of you who know, have ever tried to build a large company or interact with large companies, you know that there are so many issues with so many different types of personalities. 
But I, that's what I was trying to build, and I was very unhappy trying to build, quote-unquote, large. Meanwhile, as all this was playing out, my personal brand was growing 10 times faster than my company brand. I just didn't see it at the time. Now, maybe you're thinking, isn't this just really all about labels and semantics? And either way, you're doing the job. You're getting paid, right? But the distinction comes when you realize that people are buying you, the individual. You're the one they trust. You're the one they're looking to for direction. Now, if they were buying, let's say, what a member of your sales team happened to be pitching, it would be different. If you don't have a sales team, however, again, they're buying from you. You are the sales team. If they were sold by one of your project managers on an idea, again, it would be different. But they're not because you are the project manager. In my case, the business owners who were choosing me were those who were looking for individuals they could establish a long-term relationship with. And again, that is a personality type. Not everyone looks at it that way. Some people, it's just a transactional situation. You come on board, you get something done, and that's it. Maybe they'll look you up again in the future, maybe not. However, the people I happen to be connecting with were the decision makers looking for more of a personal connection. These these are the people, these are the personality types looking for individuals that they can turn to over and over again. If you're one of those people yourselves, when you make your decisions concerning whoever you hire, it could be for anything, then you really can get a much more in-depth understanding of what I'm trying to tell you right now. If you fit the small business profile and you're the hands-on kind of personality, the smaller is better kind of decision maker sees you as the product as much as they do the product and service that you happen to provide. In other words, your solo brand is a key selling point to them. Now, we're all decision makers at the end of the day because we all purchase things. We all have to decide. Some of us are attracted to certain things that are bigger, and some of us are attracted to certain things that are more uh, niched down more custom. And again, I'm throwing this out there. I know I'm throwing a lot of information out, but I want to do my very best to help you really get a handle on this. So if your solo brand is your key selling point and you're trying to hide behind a business brand and you're pushing that in front instead, you're actually working against yourself sort of the way I was. You're just not conscious of it. You know, if you hide behind what you might call a classic agency style company brand, then the people that are looking for that long-term relationship, the people who are attracted more to solo brands, and solo doesn't mean that it's just you, of course. You, you do understand that. You can have other people that work for you. You can have virtual assistants, any number of people, but you're primarily the key that makes everything work. That's what I mean by solo brand. Then the, the lesson here is simple. Recognize your strengths, what you are. Recognize your weaknesses, what you aren't, and make sure you're not trying to project the wrong image thinking that's what you need to do in order to grow your business. If you're smaller, personalized service becomes a superpower to you. Are you following? Now, this wasn't true necessarily 25 years ago. So for those of you who are a little bit older, maybe it takes even a little bit longer to adjust to this new kind of thinking. So my second attempt at niching down happened to be 
one where I focused on the decision maker personality type. That was what I was targeting. <clears throat> and to do that, and most of these people, by the way, weren't working in these large, large companies. Some of them were. I still have clients that have national, one even is international brand that I work with every month. But to do this, this niching down process based on the decision makers that I was targeting, I had to really focus on leading with my solo brand. And it didn't happen overnight. It happened gradually. Because sometimes you see what you're seeing, but if you don't hear other people talking about it, you wonder, am I really seeing this? Are other people seeing this? How come more people aren't doing it this way? How come more people are still doing it the, another way? And so sometimes you can doubt yourself, absolutely. But so I began to lead with my solo brand gradually. And I put less and less importance on the company quote unquote brand. So if you're struggling now to grow your online brand and presence, what I've just shared with you takes you beyond the standard fixes of this day. Everybody will tell you you need better copy, uh, better design, more automation, and they'll give you all of these little things, all these little tricks. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of that, but none of those are really what we might call um, transformation-based activities, things that really move the needle, things that when you look back, you can point to and say, hey, this is when we this is where we really turned the corner when we started to get our focus off of these things and onto this. So to get right to the heart of the matter, it's always been this. It just plays out differently according to the time you're in. People do business with people. So let's bring this back to you. Everything that I just said will take a lot of boxes for you if you're in the business to business space, if you're in the that's B2B, if you're in B2C. The decision maker types that I've just talked about, they'll still apply. They'll still apply to B2C as they will B2B. As I said, people are people. But to take it a step further, what we do has to match or come very close to matching the needs and the wants of this time. So this leads us to the question, who are your people and what do they want to accomplish, fix, or change in 2023? What's important to them in 2023. Now, I'm not saying that what was important to them in 2022 and 2021 is suddenly going to become invisible. What I'm saying is there are subtle changes in where someone takes their focus off of one thing and they, they put it upon another. If you look back over the past five years and really think about what were people talking about, then you'll realize what they're not talking about now. And you can kind of get ahead of that a little bit once you see how the pattern's forming. I believe the niching down concept, especially when you're in that phase where you're experimenting and you're still trying to figure things out when you're going through this time of transition, I believe niching down works especially well when you start applying this concept to your messaging. No matter what type of market you're in, no matter what types of products or services that you sell, when you think about how things were in the past where the focus was and you look at something like, let's say the copy on your website. Sometimes you just have to take that leap and change the copy to speak to a specific need that is coming to the forefront of people's awareness in the here and in the now. For example, let's say that you're in finance investing. There are so many topics and subtopics that fit under that banner. But what, you know, for example, what if you spoke to career people who were in their 30s, who owned their own homes and were looking to build wealth for their futures. 
So that is a specific group of people. Another group of people might be people in their 50s who aren't ready to retire yet, but it's getting closer than it's getting closer than they think. And they realize that they're not in a position yet where they're going to be able to comfortably retire and live off of that income. That's another subset group. I'm just bringing that up now because the other day I was listening to a finance investment show and they were talking about these two specific groups of people. Now, if I had listened to this same show, let's say four or five years ago, maybe they would be talking about something else, maybe a specific kind of general investment or something of that nature. But right now, it just so happens that there's a lot of people, career people. Now, of course, not everyone fits that definition, right? Not everyone's a career person. Not everyone's in their 30s. But there are enough people, these are 30-somethings, who make a decent living. They're not struggling. They own their own homes, but yet they are far and away from that place where everything is secure financially speaking, where they don't have to worry about their futures, their careers, or where things are going. These are people that they want to maybe send a child or two through college, and they're going to have some significant expenses down the road. So this is an example of changing your copy to fit the need of the time. We can apply it to any niche. We can apply it to uh, website development, graphic design, social media, health. The health niche is huge. And when you, where you make these changes is in your copy, is the words, your messaging, not just on the website, but in the content that you create. You have to have that theme tied together, in other words, because we could speak about a lot of different things. In the design world, we could talk about color, we can talk about photos and images and all of those things. And there's a ton of information out there about it. And it's not that if you're a designer, you shouldn't have that information available. Of course, it's all relative, but it's also general. And it's also, it's also more transactional to a lot of people. Someone may come to your site and see that you have this really interesting blog post on color combinations, font combinations. And it's interesting when it comes to building your website but again, there's no, it doesn't have that connection with the reader the way it would if you had niched it down even further and talked to a specific kind of person who was building their website. Maybe this is someone who used one of these other big services like uh, Square or Wix or something like that, and they were looking to move to the place where they took more control over their design. They were looking to learn things. And you get where I'm going with this. I don't want to go down this rabbit trail and be talking for another 40 minutes on that. But I'm just based on my own experience. The more you think about it, the more you think, well, general messaging is okay. And it's great to say for those of you who've been in business a long time, like I have, that I've been in business X number of years or decades, 20 years, 10 years, whatever it happens to be. But at the end of the day, people really don't care about that. They care about your ability to empathize with their situation, with their struggles, with their wants, with their needs, and assure them that you understand where they are, why they're stuck, and exactly step-by-step step what they need to do to get out of their present situation into a much better place business-wise, health-wise, whatever niche you happen to be in. So general messaging usually is not effective when it comes to attracting new people, people who will stay, 
People who want more information. General messaging is better than nothing. But it usually plateaus faster than you'd hope it would. And unless you're one of the originals or one of the first. For example, the original web hosting companies, general messaging was all it took. We'll host your website. We'll do it for you. The original health and wellness gurus, their general messaging was all it took. The point here is this, is that your general message may have already attracted the bulk of attention that it's capable of attracting under the current climate of our times. So from here forward, your growth will be a couple of people here and a couple of people there. Nothing really to get excited about. To change that, you need a message that speaks to the concerns, problems, and challenges that people are facing in 2023. And you need to get a handle on that. Because if you're experienced then realize that the people that you can help the most aren't experienced. But the very fact that you've overcome a lot of things already means that these things aren't first and foremost on the front of your mind. You have to go back to your roots, back where you came from, and understand what the people who are in that place now are struggling with, what's bothering them, what's gotten under their skin, what, what is holding them back. And sometimes you have to really dig in to understand that. You can't just give it a quick glance. So niching down your focus in the attempt to bring new people into your circle may be what's required to grow again in the upcoming year in a way that is significant. I'm not talking about referrals now. Referrals will always be there. That's great. That's fantastic. At a certain point, you may just think, you know what? I don't need to grow my circle anymore. I'm getting plenty of business from referrals. I don't want to put the time and the effort into marketing. I've done that myself. I've taken literally a few years off and not done any marketing at all. And my business has continued to grow through referrals. And you don't have to be in business 20 years for that to happen. But it's not like an avalanche of business coming in. It's not like getting a few hundred new subscribers every month. That doesn't happen unless you're proactive, unless you're taking some kind of continual action. So to sum everything up, recognize number one, that there are different personality types and understand that you're a natural fit when it comes to the decision makers for a certain kind of buyer. Acknowledge and embrace that reality because trying to be too many things to too many people too many different types of people, I should say, is ultimately just going to result in frustration and failure. And second, begin speaking to the needs of the hour. Niche down your message. If your current message is no longer getting the kind of traction that you need, more than one person has pointed out that we're in the attention economy. Makes sense, right? Is your messaging too generic? Does it need to be more specific? It's something you have to experiment with. You don't have to get married to a new message tonight, but you can experiment with different types of messaging over the upcoming months and see which one has potential and which ones do not. Yes, all of this, I know it feels like it's a lot to think about, but it's so much better making the effort to do this. It's so much better than just going through the motions and experiencing yet another year of what, you know, by now must feel like just the same old thing. So I hope this helps you as we move forward into the new year. All right, that's about all for today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, if you believe that this episode will help a friend or two, please go ahead and share the episode link with them or send them to jimgalliano.com forward slash podcast. All the back episodes are available there as well. 
So Merry Christmas, everyone. I will see you on the other side. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of your week.